morning will be in Romans chapter 1. In your pew Bible, that is page 796. Or you can follow along on the screen. We're going to continue our series on what should we expect, and today's message is entitled, We Can Expect Non-Believers to Behave Like Non-Believers. Well, why would we include this in our What Should We Expect series? And the answer to that is because a lot of times in, in our Christian world, and we've been, some of us have been Christian for a long time, or we've been raised in, in uh, families with a Christian background. And we forget that lost people act like lost people. Uh, we forget that those that are apart from Christ, we kind of wonder. We ask those questions sometimes. We ask them, I think sometimes without thinking. Uh, we have people ask us, you know, why do people, why would that guy do that? Or why do they talk like that? Well, they're lost. And uh, to be honest with you, whenever I say that, why did that person, why does that person so ugly sometimes? Um, why do they, why they got such a filthy mouth or whatever like that? And it's just rhetorical. I know the answer. I'm not asking, I'm not asking why. Uh, because they're lost. And because of this, there's not a whole lot that surprises me anymore. Um, You've got to really catch me off guard to be surprised on some different things. Um, and so when we look at when we look at our non-believing friends, we look at our non-believing family members, and uh, they they live a certain way that's different from how the Christian lives. It's because they're lost. Um, if you want, if you want to really get down to it, uh, you know we can we can say you know society has went from here to here. We can say the families have. Uh, lost our values or whatever, we can blame it on the government if we like, but lost people are going to act like lost people act. And Romans chapter 1 gives us some insight as to why they do that. Let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 21, and we'll go through verses uh, 21 through 32. And um, normally I would have started a, a little ahead, but we've already covered that section of Scripture. And so we're going to pick up today with verse 21. And he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Therefore, since they do not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Doesn't that remind you of society today? We get kind of bored with doing this, so we're going to invent some new stuff. And even that new stuff doesn't surprise us. It's just like, oh, there's something else that we've, that we've come up with right here. They disobey their parents. They are senseless. Isn't it funny they put that in there? All those things and they put, they disobey their parents. That's huge. That's huge. Whenever we see someone who's not even going to respect their mom and dad, if they're not going to respect mom and dad, why would they not do these other things? They're senseless. They're faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Father, we love you today. We thank you so much for your word. Father, we thank you for when we we read your word as Christians, we can have an understanding of the truth. And as believers, we can understand that people who are apart from you, they can't understand what your word says, never mind take it to heart and actually do it. They need the changing power of the gospel message to change their lives. They need Jesus to come into their hearts and lives and change them from the inside out. Father, we pray that today, that if there's folks here today who are apart from you, and they know in their hearts, if they are, that your Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin They will get over their pride and come to you and accept that free gift of grace that you offer through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we can be encouraged from your word as we go out and meet people who are like this, who these scripture verses describe today, that we might not have discouragement when we meet them, but know that this is absolutely normal. That when we meet folks that we can share your love and your truth with them and then allow you to work in their lives. That we can know that we've done the right thing by sharing with them. Lord, we pray that you give us boldness as we go out. And not only that, but as we live a holy and righteous life each and every day. Father, help us to be intentional to follow you. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at several reasons based in Romans chapter 1 why the non-believer acts like the non-believer. And verses 21 through 32 are wonderful places for that. You know, we could talk about on weeks on all, this, on all these things that Paul's laid out to the church at Rome here, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to hit on a few things, the major, the major principles that Paul says, okay, the reason why they're acting like they do is because of these. And the first truth we're going to look at is found in verse 21. It is because their hearts are darkened. Their hearts are darkened. Now think about how this metaphor applies even today. This, this, this uh, principle doesn't just, it's not for a time. 
is for always. The pe- people are sinful, people are apart from God because their hearts are dark- darkened. They don't know God. They're not living in the light. The reason they do the things they do is because they're living in the dark, living for themselves. Whenever you think about somebody who's had their hearts darkened, what are some things that you think about? What comes up automatically in your mind? Go ahead and throw out a couple. I know we don't normally respond on Sunday morning. But what do you think about somebody whose heart is darkened? They are an what kind of person? Where's Corey? Corey usually answers me. He's sick. Somebody take his. We, gotta, we need Corey's substitute. All right, Christy's Corey's sub. Angry. And that's one of the things I wrote. They're, they're angry people. Y'all know angry people, right? You meet them on Monday at work, and you go in and say, hey, how was your weekend? Terrible. Well, their weekend's always terrible, right? The last night was terrible. Their kids are terrible. Everything's terrible. And so you go right on, right, and move on because everything's terrible. So they're an angry person. They're also a what kind of person? Dishonest. They lie all the time. They say stuff, and then you just bob your head up and down because chances are they're lying to you. Right? There's no sense in letting your feelings get hurt because they're a liar. What else? They're ungrateful. Yeah. You could move the world for them, and they'd think you're supposed to. Right? Well, how come you didn't take care of that yesterday? Not cheerful. That's a good one. Right? They're just kind of like, hmm. Right? They got this look, right? And they got it so long that there's like lines. You know, their face has. Gene. Your face does not look like that. You are happy. Yes. Yes. That, I guess that could be, you know, they might be angry or just old. Right? We don't think like that. People don't think like that. They don't just go, oh, the, everybody who has the line, they're old. No, but there's certain folks that you see them, they've got that look, you know. They look like they just got done eating a, like a whole sack full of lemons, you know, or a whole, like a... Y'all ever go, go on YouTube sometime and type in um, the durian fruit. It's a D-U-R-I-A-N. It is the world's stinkiest, nastiest fruit. Uh, they've got pictures of it. I can't remember what country that it's, it's, uh, that it's real popular in. Thailand, maybe. They've got pictures of it on their public transportation that has a picture of that fruit with a line and a cross through it. Like, you can't bring this fruit on the, on the public transportation. It stinks so bad. And, you know, it looks like they just got done eating a whole bunch of that. Yeah, like a persimmon. How come the deer don't go like this up? But But this is what we think about, right? But it's not necessarily true all the time. It's just what we think about. We think about somebody whose heart's darkened. We think about uh, somebody who lies a lot, somebody who's angry, somebody who's ungrateful, uh, and all these sort of things. Argumentative. But let's look to Scripture and see what that type of person really is. You know, we, we kind of look at the extreme, right? We think about the extreme. So let's look at some biblical examples of, of light and dark. And you'll see these on the overhead screen. The first one is Matthew 4.16. Light. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. 
This gives a picture of light, of taking over darkness. Light has come in, right? It's kind of like in the morning when I'm laying in bed and I don't, it's like, I don't know, whatever day it is that I'm not going to do much that day, right? And normally I get up pretty early, but on that day I think to myself, there's no light in my bedroom so I don't have to get up yet, right? The darkness is still there, so it equals still sleeping, which works out in the wintertime on those days. Matthew 5, 14, it says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. The light of the world, right? That's a wonderful description, a wonderful illustration, the light of the world, that, you go, that your light is, wants to shine so much that the world might see it. Matthew 5, 16, the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is one of the reasons why we say we can't put our Christianity in a box, in a bubble, that we can hide it on Sunday or on Wednesday night, and then the rest of the week we can do whatever. He tells us right here that you are the light of the world, wherever you go. Matthew 6.22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. And the reverse is quite the same, isn't it? When our eyes are dark, when we constantly think about anger, strife, lying, being ungrateful, uh, those sort of things, right? it drags us down. And then we fall into that trap. John 1.4 says, In Him was life, and that life was the light of man. So if you're looking to get this light, in whom do we find that? In Jesus. In Him. It's in Him alone. John 1.9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. There's another one. This is the true light. And we try to find it all over the place. Besides where it was intended. John 3.20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Now here's a few on on the dark side. Matthew 6.23, but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We're living in that darkness. How great is that? almost like you're never going to get out of that. Just resign yourself to living in that darkness without Christ. It's never going to get any better. And that's why I tell people when I'm witnessing to them. If you can get to that certain point with them, and they say something like, I just I feel terrible all the time. Well, good luck with that, because that's how your life is going to feel pretty much until you die without Christ. There's going to be glimmers of hope, and that's evidence of God showing you what could be. Um, people need to know that. We need to tell them the truth. This right now is as good as it's going to get for you. And after that, it goes downhill like quick. Y'all ever been on one of those uh, amusement park things that they like take you all the way to the top of this thing and then all of a sudden it, it just drops you down? Some people like that. Do you like that when you go to the... Christy likes that. I just... All I can think about is my stomach like going up into my throat, and I say, no, thank you, and I sit there and watch people watch while they go up and, you know, scream, woo, have a big time with it. Matthew eight twelve, but the subjects of the kingdom 
will be thrown outside into darkness. Will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth? This is what he talks about right here, what's going to happen to those in the darkness. Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness. Well, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 1, 79, to shine on those living in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guard, to guide our feet into a path of peace. John 12, 35, and Jesus told them, you're going to have a light with you just a little longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. And this is just some contrast between the light and the darkness. Lost people act like they do because they're living in darkness. They're living in darkness. In verse 21, you'll see in your Bible the word foolish or the word senseless. This literally means without understanding. This Greek word literally means without understanding. Those who are in the dark... They do not have understanding. And so that's why they act that way. You know, why do they talk that way? Why do they have the language that they do? Why do they treat people like that? There's no understanding. There's no biblical truth guiding their way. And whatever rightness is there, it's because God put it there, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Right? You ever been in a dark room, one that you weren't real familiar with, and you're afraid to take a step? Because you didn't know if you were going to hit the bedpost. You didn't know if you were going to step on some Legos or wake up some kind of dog or go off the steps. Right? That's how it was when I was working in Kansas City when I would get up at the crack of crazy and try to go to work. Uh, wherever I, I was like, okay, how many steps is it before my bedpost? Uh, how many more steps? Did I leave something on the floor last night? That's always a guessing game. And for the non-Christian, this is how the non-Christian will often live. In this world of darkness, not knowing what the next step is going to bring, listen to people at funerals, those who are lost. Listen to people who lost somebody or they're going through something terrible, some kind of life-altering thing. And they tell you, there's no hope there. It's like they're living in darkness. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen next. But for the Christian, we know. We know exactly who has us, what's going to happen we know whether what, what kind of disease we get. It doesn't matter. He's got us. We know that we're going to live so long, and whether we live a healthy life up to that point, we will die. And then once we do, we're going to spend eternity in heaven. I remember Christy, when she started working uh, nursing, and she would come home from work and say, man, there is definitely a difference between people who are born-again believers who I can tell they're Christians, or they've told me, I put my faith and trust in Christ, who are dying in the hospital, versus the one who's laying there. They know they're dying, and they're writhing in anguish, not knowing what's going to happen. Do you remember coming home and telling that? Uh, And just talking about the person who's a Christian has that joy. They've got that light in their life. But the non-Christian, that darkness will overtake them if they do not put their faith and trust in Christ. They are spiritually blind. Look back at Romans 1, 21. Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice this. The Bible says that they knew God. It's not like they didn't know any better. 
And you'll meet people who will deny God. They'll say he doesn't exist. And the Bible basically says that's not true. It's not true. Some people have darkened their hearts so much that in their minds they can say there's no God, but their behaviors act like there is. So that shows that repression of that. They knew God. The Bible uses the word fool in verse 22. He's not being derogatory here. It literally means one without wisdom. They don't have wisdom. And their pride keeps them from saying, what is it that I don't know? What is it that I need to figure out about this God and what his word says so that I might order my life to follow this God? Psalm 14, 1 tells us, the fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. There is no one who does good. That's amazing, right? Everybody without Christ, every single person born, does no good. Because if we said we did good, that would be a basis upon how great we are and how God isn't, right? But he is, he's the, he's the definition of good, and we're not. Now, you might say, well, I do good things. There's lost people that do good things. Yeah, there are. But what keeps us out of heaven? What keeps us apart from God? Our sin and our imperfection, right? Although we do good things, the Bible says if you've sinned, you're dirty. You are separated from God. All it takes is one. I use that illustration with, uh, with those that I'm going through discipleship or those that I'm witnessing to sometimes. I'll, I'll use a water, um, and it's flu season, so we can, we can use that right now. I'll say, hey, I just opened this water. It's brand new. If you're thirsty, I'm going to give it to you. But before I do... I got the flu. Enjoy. Who's going to drink that? There'll be somebody in here who says, I'll drink that. Most people, no, I ain't drinking that. I, I see what's coming out of your nose. I see how sick you are. You know, I'm not, I'm not drinking that. That's nasty. Well, it's just a little bit. You can't taste it, right? It's not a lot. Wasn't like I, and then gave it to you. Right? You didn't like that illustration? Most of that water's good. That's how God looks at us without Christ. You're dirty. You're apart from Him. Our hearts are darkened. Second truth is because they exchanged the truth for a lie. They exchanged the truth for a lie. This is verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. So, how do they do this? Do we go around saying, okay, I'm going to go ahead and swap this for this? Right? No, we don't do that. We don't just like, you know, have a bumper sticker on it that says, I traded, you know, God for, for the lie, and I'm, and I'm happy with that. But what we do is that we worship the created over the Creator. And guys, that can take that can be pictured in whatever you want, right? Say, so, well, I'm, I'm not that bad of a person. 
Well, A, yes, you are. B, yes, uh, B you're worshiping something other than God. When we're, not, when we're not aligned with Christ, when we're not covered by His blood, when we're not a child of His, we're living apart from Him, therefore, we are worshiping the created. And that can look like whatever, right? It can look like ourselves. It would never say, I'm worshiping myself. But when all we think about is, is how selfish, you know, I want this, I want this, we're worshiping ourselves. Maybe it's something material, but we're worshiping ourselves. This has the picture of something being placed side by side. And we think, okay, they, they purposely chose this right here. Uh, but something interesting, as I did my study on this, was the word exchanged. Um, it's only used here in the New Testament. In this verse, in verse 26, uh, it's a different word in verse 23. It literally means an old type of trade, like a bargain, right? I'm trading this so I know I have this thing, and I want that thing that you have. And I'm going to trade for you. I made a willing trade of this thing for that. Take the value off. I made a bargain is what he's talking about. It's an actual literal. I knew, I knew that God exists, and I know I'm supposed to worship him, but I'm trading that for this because I like this. It fits for me. This feels good. It works for my lifestyle. Whatever we say, right? It's a bargain. So, let me ask you this. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? We, we expect uh, believers to, or non-believers to act a certain way, yet their hearts are dark, darkened. They've exchanged the truth for a lie. We're self-serving, aren't we? We are selfish people. Look at the very beginning in, in Genesis. The very one of the first sins. One of the boys brings an offering of an animal. The other one brings an offering of some, some of the produce from the field. And because we're so selfish, God says, no, I can't accept this one. We're so selfish, rather than saying, what can I do? Right? Where is my heart went wrong? How can I fix this? We're so selfish that we would say, I know what I'm supposed to do. Or maybe I didn't know, but now I know. How can I fix this? How can I get this right? We're so selfish that we would go, I'm going to rather make up my own God, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this on my own. And we see that with people saying, when we talk to folks and, they, and we say, uh, we're talking about God or Jesus or the church or whatever, and they say, well, my God does this. The God that I believe in says this. Tyler and I, he's, he's praying right now. We're going to see that this next week as we go to, to New Orleans and we go to uh, Mardi Gras. Um, it, that is one of the highest concentrations of, uh, of people in the homosexual lifestyle come to, come to Mardi Gras. And I, it was every single one that came and talked to me said that this is my God allows me to do this. The God I serve is not angry with me. Uh, when I read the Bible, I see, I see this. And biblical truth is clear. It's plain how we're supposed to worship and how we're supposed to love God. Expect non-believers to be different because their truth is not truth. Their truth is not truth. 
one thing I like to ask, uh, and I won't do it at Mardi Gras because I'm not looking for a fight uh, on the street. I'm trying to witness. Uh, but when I'll talk to people, if they, if they can talk and it's a calm environment, they may say, well, this lifestyle is good for me. And you guys know me. I like to take things to the extreme. I'll say, well, why can't four dudes get together? Right? Well, that's, that's not a relationship. Well, it, what if it is to that person? Would you be accepting of that? It might be. It might work. It might be truth. Well, then if you go a little further, well, what about the grown man and the 10-year-old girl? The 8-year-old. What about that? They're both consenting. Mom and dad don't have a problem with it. They love each other. Where does it stop? What is truth? Can you define truth on your own? Or is there one who sets those limits, those moral guidelines of that truth? We can't understand it, or, or people who are apart from Christ can't understand it because they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The final principle is because they did not acknowledge God. In verse 28, it says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. So finally, we can expect non-believers to act like non-believers because they do not acknowledge God. They're on the same or on a different level, right? We say, well, you should act like this, and the Bible says this, and well, they go, well, I don't. I don't do that. I don't acknowledge what that says. And then what happens to us? We kind of fold, right? When we're trying to witness to somebody, we go, like, oh, I don't know what to do. Because the Bible is truth. One thing that we have to learn is that if the Holy Spirit's not working on somebody, it's okay to kind of let it go. It's okay to give them truth and say, you know, I, don't, I know that you don't accept this as truth. I know that you don't accept the word of God as the ultimate authority and as truth, but it is. And I'm not going to argue with you because I love you. And I, I can see that this is not going anywhere, right? We spend way too much time getting all worked up. And then what happens the next time we want to try to witness to that person? That person has seen us get fired up. And in such a way sometimes that it's just bad. It's angry. We kind of do that angry witness where we've lost our witness with them. Don't back off from the truth of God, but also don't pound somebody who the Holy Spirit is not working on. Pray for them. You might stop and say, hey, you know what? This, this is truth, but can I pray for you real quick? Is that okay? And then move on from that situation. The idea of acknowledging God in this Bible verse right here comes from a full and precise knowledge of God. And what we have is a, or as lost people, or as people who are apart from God, we have a dim knowledge, because there are some truths there. Just take the, the homosexual person who says, you know, we're in a committed relationship. What's a, there is a truth there. There's a truth that they recognize that there is supposed to be a relationship. There's supposed to be somebody and somebody else who get together and love each other. But we've twisted that. We've taken God's design, and we've warped it into what we want. Or the person who's living apart from Christ, who spends all their time doing X, Y, or Z instead of worshiping Christ or growing as a disciple of His. They're spending their time on something that may be good, it might be okay to do, but not the best thing to do. They don't fully acknowledge. And it reminds me of what I said just a moment ago, 
that people will say, my God is like this. My God would never, the God I serve is this. There's truth there, but it's not the truth of the Scripture because they're not acknowledging him with the full and precise knowledge that we get from Scripture rather than it's what I want. Always be weary when you hear somebody say, I think, or my God does, or my God says. And if you say that, kind of be careful about that. You might change that to the God of the Bible, the God I worship, the God of the Bible says, and then show them a scripture verse. Show them what the Bible says. And beyond that is to know the context of that scripture. Because a lot of times we take scripture out of context. And we say, hey, I think, I I was talking with a gentleman the other day, and he said um, something like, well, the Bible says that wherever two or three gather or agree on something, it's supposed to happen. And uh, I thought, do I correct or not? And I thought, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and correct. Um, it's, that's not what that scripture is talking about. That scripture is talking about discipline. It's a legal sense that when there's, one or th- when there's two witnesses, yes, we agree on this. You've done or not done this thing. Otherwise, me and Dave could get together and we could pray for whatever. We're agreeing on it, and it's going to happen. Wouldn't that be scary? Or we'd be really disappointed. Where is this God? So be in the Word enough to know where we're picking the wrong things on that. If you would, turn with your Bibles to John 1, 14. Or you can read it on the overhead. John 1, 14 through 18. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The key verse here for our discussion is verse 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. A lot of times we're sharing the gospel with somebody, and we don't know we're placing barriers on them. Look, at, look back at, at John 1.17. Look at some of these barriers. What law? What's the law that we're talking about? Who is Moses? What is grace and truth? Why is Jesus so important? When nonbelievers have a, a dim view of Scripture, when their hearts are darkened, when they've exchanged the truth for a lie, when they've done all these things, we need to start with the basics with them. In the beginning, God created In the beginning, God is, He was, He always will be. Everything was created perfect. Take them through Moses. Show them what the law is. Show them why we need grace. Who brings the one and only truth? Why Jesus is important? They don't know. Why do unbelievers act like they do? They don't know. Friends, we have got to tell them what Scripture says. He says in verse 28, Therefore, since 
they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. He gave them over to a depraved mind. We see this used in verse 28. He uses it in verse 24. He uses it in 26. He gave them over. He gave them over. He gave them over. I liken it to, I think about the old White Plains Elementary School. How many of you went to the elementary school here in White Plains? We've got some, a lot of folks who went to the White Plains Elementary School. Um, you know, it was designed as a school. It was designed to hold people for a purpose, right? And right now, the church extreme is, is using that building. What would happen to that old White Plains School had church extreme or, or nobody else use it? What would happen, Roy? It would deteriorate. The animals would take over. You know, people might sneak in and do whatever in there, right? The leaks will take care of the place. It'll just deteriorate. Now, think of that in your mind, that, that we are that building, that God has designed us for a reason and for a purpose. He's designed us to worship Him, to have a relationship with Him. Now, the person who's lost, the person who's not born again, their body, their everything is designed for the same thing. But when we don't fill that with the Lord, we don't go according to His purpose, we're like that old unused school building. And this is what Paul is saying right here. He gave them over. You don't want to be used as a school building? Fine, I'll give you over. I'll give you over to the animals. I'll give you over to time. I'll give you over to the drug addicts. I'll give you over to the re- leaky roof. I'll give you over to whatever. You don't want to do what I'm showing you to do? I'm going to give you over. Guys, this is part of our punishment. We see folks living apart from Christ right now. They're getting part of their punishment. Man, I feel so bad for those in the homosexual community, the abuse that they receive, the alienation that they feel with their families a lot. Um, I don't know how it is. I wouldn't know how it is to walk around constantly thinking that people are looking at you funny. I don't know. But that's got to be part of that punishment because they're supposed to be man and woman. When we pervert that, you get what you get. Any kind of relationship that we pervert as a people, God's going to give us over if we're not going to repent and turn to him. In closing, I want to ask you this this morning. If you're here today in the Holy Spirit, has revealed to you that you are living apart from him. You know, you might think, why do I continually do the things that I do? Um, you know, I've, I've tried to fake this. I've tried to, I've tried to say the right Christian words. But in my heart, I know that I don't have a relationship with Jesus. If this is you today, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. The Bible says, come to Christ and live. That we might have an awesome life now, and eternity. A lot of times we place it all on eternity. Don't you want to go to heaven, right? You want to enjoy Jesus and God in heaven, right? Well, we can have a we can have a good life now in Christ and not have to monkey around with all the effects of, of sin. If the Holy Spirit's talking to you today and you need to come to Christ, during our time of invitation, I'm gonna come forward. I want you to come and talk to me and say, Brother Toby, I just can't do this anymore. I know I need to give my heart to Christ. How do I need to do that? If you're here today, and you are a believer, and you are struggling with some of these people that are really hard on you. They're really letting you have it. Uh, they're, they're sideways. They're ugly. They're saying ugly things. And you've been really struggling with that. Be encouraged. 
Lost people are going to act that way, right? Just don't hang out with them all the time, right? If you've got some kind of nemesis in your life, it's okay to not let them be your best friend all the time, bringing you down. And it's okay to tell them, you know what? You're kind of negative. Uh, you kind of say ugly words that kind of hurt my feelings or I don't know, whatever it is, if you get your feelings hurt very, very easily. Or they might say to you, hey, how come you're not hanging out with me anymore? I, don't, I can't take the language or whatever it is, right? And then share the gospel with them. Guys, if they reject the gospel, they're not, or if, yeah, if they reject the gospel, they're rejecting Jesus and not you. And that is our biggest fear. We're so scared to share the good news with people because we fear that rejecting, they're rejecting us when they're re- really rejecting God's word. If you have another need during this time, maybe it's baptism. You've, you've, you've trusted Christ, but you've never followed in believer's baptism where you'd like to come for prayer. I'd like to encourage you to do that during this time as well. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you so much for, um, for allowing those who have followed you, who are, who are believers, to know that when we look to your word, your word is going to tell us exactly what we need uh, during that time. Father, I pray that we might know your word in such a way that it impacts our lives to go out and share the good news with other people, to know that they're going to say hurtful things, uh, for us not to get all bent out of shape because that's in their heart. Uh, and Let people see our heart, which is uh, the light that you've put in there. Father, I pray for the one or two or three or four who are here today who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you convict them of sin uh, and show them that they need to turn their lives to you and to be a strong follower of you. Lord, I pray that you will empower us this week to go and live a godly life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.